Isn't that great? Give him another hand of applause. Great. Way, to, way to go, guys. That's so great. So much fun. Wow, look at that. So that's a father and his son right there. Isn't that something? These are the girls right here. Nice work, Glenn. That's a whatever-it-takes associate pastor right there. He's willing. Isn't that great? Well, that's, that's a beautiful thing. I hope it's an inspiration to you and encouragement as it is to me. Beautiful. Congratulations. Good morning, everyone. It's so nice to see you. Hey, we're not swimming this morning. That's good. No more swamp land. That's, uh, that's progress. That big orange orb in the sky, that's the sun. And we're thankful to see it. God is good. We've been talking about questions that you've submitted in the last few weeks, and they've been really great questions. And today we have what I think is maybe the best question that we had submitted to us, which is the question of doubt. Everybody experiences doubt from time to time. In fact, by show of hands, how many of you have had a season of doubt in your own life? Raise your hand. Keep it up. We'll wait for the rest of you. Waiting, waiting, waiting. Because it's, it's 100%, right? All of us encounter the challenge of doubt. And today what we want to do is look at a New Testament character that all of us have heard of. His name is John the Baptist. And he was big and he was bold and he was out there. And, and he had great faith, grand faith. And yet he suffered from doubt. And we're going to look at that today and find ways that we can connect with John Baptist and learn along the way. So if you have your Bibles, we're going to look at Luke's gospel, chapter 7, Luke 7, and I'm going to read for us verses 18 to 23. You can turn there. If not, we'll project the words, and our custom is to stand to hear God's word. So as you're able, would you please? Luke 7, 18, John's disciples, this is John Baptist now, told him about all these things, calling two of them. He sent them to the Lord to ask, are you the one who is to come, or should we expect someone else? And when the men came to Jesus, they said, John the Baptist sent us to you to ask, are you the one who is to come or should we expect someone else? At that very time, Jesus cured many who had diseases, sicknesses, and evil spirits and gave sight to many who were blind. So he replied to the messengers, go back and report to John what you have seen and heard. The blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the good news is proclaimed to the poor. Blessed is anyone who does not stumble on account of me. Now may God inspire and instruct us today through his word. You may be seated. Thanks so much. Jesus faced temptation and doubt. You'll recall that he went into the wilderness, 40 days of fasting. At the end of 40 days, he was hungry, and the devil, Satan, came to Jesus and tested him and tempted him him. Now like Jesus, what we'll discover is that when we are in a more weakened condition, physically weak, spiritually weak, more vulnerable, that's when doubt tends to creep into our lives. We identify with that. Typically seasons of doubt come to us when we are somehow compromised and weakened and more vulnerable. And so doubt comes in those seasons. Let me tell you this story about uh, a man from Jordan 
during the first Gulf War, had come to the United States for continuing education and training. He's a Christian, and he's a Christian leader in the nation of Jordan. And so he got his degree and went back to Jordan and discovered that a move of God was happening among his fellow citizens in Jordan. And he was very excited about that, and so he returned with his wife to the States to raise money for the initiatives that were happening there in Jordan. And while they were here, his wife was diagnosed with cancer. She had cancer in her throat, and it was very serious, and she, she needed treatment. And in order to get his wife the best treatment possible, they stayed in the United States, but it was very difficult for him because things were happening, and the mission was being unsupported and, and without leadership among the Jordanian people. And this is what he wrote. He said, it doesn't make sense. We've given our lives to Christ. We've said we want to serve Christ. And just as things are beginning to work out, all of this happens. And he asked, where is God in all of this? Good question, isn't it? Where is God in all of this? You ever been there? I heard this true story from a pastoral friend of mine. Let me tell you about Max and Shirley. This is a very sad story. Max and Shirley were raising their two-year-old granddaughter. And the reason they were raising the two-year-old was because their daughter had not done well in life and she'd lost possession of her daughter. And so the grandparents, Max and Shirley, were raising her. And they had come to faith in Christ. They wanted to do better with their grandchildren than, than they'd done with their own children. And they were attending church. And one day Shirley went out to, make, to run an errand, and she didn't see the little two-year-old granddaughter sneak out the front door. And so when Shirley backed out of her driveway, she ran over the little baby and killed her. When my friend the pastor arrived, Shirley asked, why? We've just started trying to do the right thing. We, we've made a choice for Christ and are attending church. Why would God allow this to happen now? It's a fair question. Impossible to answer, but it's a question that will occur. Have you ever faced moments of doubt? I want you to know uh, right up front in this message today that I have experienced doubt in my life, and I hope that doesn't surprise you or disappoint you. It's just a fact. And I've discovered that for all of us, there are moments of doubt. I mean, we don't wake up in the morning going, I think I'm going to be a doubter today. Uh, the pendulum swings, right? Uh, we go from faith to doubt. Life happens, stuff happens, and doubt and questions and confusion creeps in. And we don't know why, but it does. So from time to time, we experience doubt. Look at Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 on the screen with me. It says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So that's a definition of faith. The assurance of things we hope for, the evidence of things we, we can't see. And, and so that's the, the definition, that's the expectation of faith that God has for us, that we actually have a confidence, uh, an expectation of things we, we, don't, we don't see, we, we only hope for. And, and so it's a, it's a challenging standard to maintain uh, all the way through. So it helps me to know that there are examples in the Bible where Men and women of meaningful faith, even big faith and bold faith, struggled with doubt. And today we want to look at John the Baptist, who's an example of this. And no one was more bold in their faith than John Baptist. He was a, an eccentric character, uh, a prophet in the 
in the Old, Old Testament kind of profile. He, he liked to camp out. He was out in the wilderness most of the time. He, uh, just picture a homeless guy. Picture a homeless guy that's been living homeless for months and months at a time. His hair is unkept. His beard is all grown out. He's wearing whatever he can find, in this case, camel hair. He's eating whatever he can scrounge up, in this case, locusts and wild honey. And so he's just, he's eccentric. He's, he's seedy. And yet he's bold and he is confident and he's articulate. And he goes about and he's preaching a gospel of repentance. He is a precursor prophet. He is a prophet preparing the way for the coming of Messiah Emmanuel, Jesus Christ. And so he is, he is laying the foundation for the entrance into the world of Jesus. Now, he was probably a cousin or second cousin of Jesus. And he described himself in John 1, 23. He said, I am a voice crying in the wilderness, make straight the way of the king. So he's, he's a voice in the wilderness. What a cool phrase, right? How many of you would, would perhaps define our culture here in America as a spiritual wilderness right now? And he's a voice in the wilderness crying out and preparing the way. So he's very bold. He's very confident. And he doesn't care who his audience is. He doesn't, he doesn't uh, mitigate the strength or boldness of his message just because there are priests around or even if the king is around within earshot. We learn in Mark chapter 6 that, that King Herod finds out about John Baptist and, and he's curious about John Baptist. In fact, we learn that in Mark 6 that Herod liked to listen to John Baptist preach. He's fascinated by John the Baptist. Now, let me tell you a little bit about, about Herod. He was one of the sons. This is Herod Antipas by the time Mark 6 and Luke 7. Uh, this is Herod Antipas, who's one of the four sons of Herod the Great. Herod the Great had four boys. He named them all Herod. Just like George Foreman, the former heavyweight boxing champion, had seven sons. and named them all George. I don't know. And so there are four of these Herods. You see in the, in the text occasionally uh, Herod the Tetrarch. Well, the word tetrarch just means one quarter of or one fourth. So when Herod the Great passed away, Caesar appointed the four sons and divided up the, the, the realm into four parts. Now, th three of Herod the Great's sons were connected in a perverse way. Let me explain. One of the sons had a daughter, and, and he named her Herodias. Herodias. <laughs> Why not? Herod, Herod, Herodias, Herod's in all the names. So this Herodias is a beautiful girl. She's very alluring. She's very seductive. She's beautiful. And when she grew up, she married her uncle, one of her father's brothers, one of the other four Herods. So she married her, and together they had a daughter named Salome or Salome or Salami. I don't know how to pronounce it. So we'll just call her Salami. <laughs> on another occasion, on one, on one of the other uh, visits from her uncle, Herod Antipas, on his way to Rome, he stops by to visit his brother, Herod, and he sees his daughter, Herodias, and he fancies her because she's beautiful. So he, he takes her as his wife. So watch this now, uh, the, the interplay here and the, and the nastiness of this. She is first a niece of Herod Antipas, then the sister-in-law of Herod Antipas, and now the wife of Herod Antipas. Have you ever seen Jerry Springer? She, this family would fit perfectly 
in a Springer episode. So John Baptist is very bold, as I said. And so here's Herod Antipas, married to his sister-in-law, niece, now his wife. And they're having relations which are wrong. It's immoral. This is wrong. And John Baptist would actually stand underneath their bedroom window in the palace and rant and rave about how sinful they were. How many of you know that might get on your nerves? I mean, that, that might be annoying at the very least. So Herodias hated John Baptist, just hated him and wanted him dead. So here's what her husband, Herod Antipas, does. Herod Antipas has John the Baptist arrested for his own protection because he knows his wife is out to kill him. And so he throws John in prison, and John languishes there for months, probably, at this time as we come now to Luke chapter 7. And in the context of that isolation and separation and discouragement, John Baptist begins to doubt. As strong in his faith, as bold as he is, as confident in his calling as John Baptist is, he begins to doubt. And so this is... This is different than when he was all full of God's spirit and all full of his sense of purpose in the world. And so this is when John sends messengers to Jesus. Are you the one or should we look for someone else? And so he is filled with doubt. Now let me just remind you that when, when these two servants come from John Baptist to ask Jesus the question, are you the one? Jesus has a big group of people in front of him. And after these two messengers leave with Jesus reassuring them that he's the one, Jesus turns back to the audience, to the crowd he's in front of, and he says, by the way, why did you go out into the wilderness to listen to John Baptist? What did you, what, what did you expect when you went out there? He said, did you expect to see a reed blowing in the wind? Did you expect to see someone all dressed up and trying to pretend like he's somebody he's not? No, he said, the reason you went out in the wilderness to listen to John Baptist is because he's a prophet of God. And you knew his words were from God. And so you went out there. And by the time, by the time Jesus is finished, and by the way, he's more than a prophet, he said, in fact, there is no one who's ever been born of a woman greater than John Baptist. Wow. It's a pretty strong endorsement, right? And so Jesus reminds us just how great a man of faith, John Baptist is. Now, here's my point. And I wanna, this is the launch point now for the sermon. If John Baptist can be filled with doubt, then so can you and so can I. If John the Baptist can waver in his faith, then we can all waver in our faith. And that's a fact. Now, what do we learn from John Baptist? Three things. The first one, it's on your outline. If you are in a season of questioning and fear and doubt, confusion, be honest about your doubt. Be honest about it. John Baptist was honest enough to admit his doubt. He needed help and reassurance. He humbled himself to be honest about his internal conflict. He wasn't afraid to be perceived as weak or inadequate. One of the challenges in the church today, I think, is the notion that we should never reveal weakness or vulnerability because people may think negatively toward us. This is, just, this is just goofy, but it's true. It happens in the church all the time. People are afraid to express questions or doubt when they're struggling for fear that someone might think less of them. Well, you don't really have a, 
belief in Christ. You don't have a strong faith. Otherwise, you wouldn't doubt. You only ask a person, do you believe it? So, yeah, God said it. I believe it. That settles it. You know, I'm never doubting. Okay, whatever. It's just not real life. Real life is that all of us doubt from time to time. That's normal. You should expect it to happen. And when it does, the church, the body of Christ, should be the first place that you are honest about that. So Jesus can handle your doubts. He can handle your questions, your confusion. And you don't have to worry. Now, we should be bold. Indeed, we should... Uh, speak the truth. We should be unwavering in our devotion to the gospel and preaching the gospel, the hope found in Jesus Christ. And we should always remain receptive and sensitive to people who have questions or doubts. When John's disciples asked Jesus, are you the one or should we look for someone else? Jesus responded with a loving confidence. I mean, it was a warm response from Jesus, indicating again he can handle it. He can handle your your weakness, in your faith. So there's nothing wrong with being honest. This is my story. This is where I am right now. I've got some confusion and some doubt. So be honest about your doubt. Now, second of all, write this down. Let doubt move you toward Jesus. Toward Jesus. Now, what's our instinct, typically, when we start to waver and wobble in our doubt? We tend to withdraw from Jesus. We tend to isolate from Jesus. But this is a bad instinct. It's not good. We should be drawn to Jesus. This is what John models for us. John went straight to the source. He went straight to Jesus. He didn't go anywhere else. He said, you go ask that boy if he's the one. Or should we look for someone else? Because I need reassurance. And Jesus responded to John. John got his answer pretty quickly. Jesus actually quoted from Isaiah. He told these two messengers of John. He said, he said, and I quote, you go tell him that the blind receive sight, the lame walk, those who have leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the good news is preached to the poor. This is a direct quote from Isaiah. And Jesus knew that John would recognize a quote from Isaiah, another prophet. And so Jesus is saying to John Baptist, from prophet to prophet, you can trust what I'm saying. I am the one. And so he went directly to Jesus and he got an answer. Now, having said that, you may go directly to Jesus with your doubt and you may get a quick answer like John Baptist did or you may not. Can we be real? You may have to wait. You may have to be really patient. In fact, you may not get the answer to your questions this side of eternity. Because sometimes the questions are too hard to answer in this life. And there's no good answer for it. And so you wait and you're patient with that, knowing that every question one day will be answered and every wrong will be righted and everything crooked will be made straight because justice will roll down like the waters. And one of these days, it's all going to come clear to us. And we'll celebrate and rejoice in it. But for now... We may have to wait. So move toward Jesus. Here's number three. You want to write this down. It's on your outline. When in doubt, practice stubborn faith. Stubborn faith. Write that down. Everyone say stubborn. Now listen, this should be easy for you. A lot of practice. 
right? You know stubborn. Most of you live in stubborn. That's kind of your profile. That's your your MO. It's your move. So when you're in doubt, practice stubborn faith. Jesus said it this way, Luke 7, 23 from our text. Blessed is the person who does not stumble on account of me. Hear that again. Blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. Now, let me, just, let me just tell you, all weekend, let me tell you what's been happening. I have been talking about myself and to myself all weekend. And all you have been doing, all these services all weekend, is you have been eavesdropping in on my private conversation with myself. Just so you know. I am talking to myself about myself. And you're free to listen. And here's what's happened. Here's what's happened from time to time in my life. I have been in seasons of time in my life when I had a lot of questions and I didn't have any answers. And I've been in moments which I perceived were not of my own making. Bad moments, difficult moments, disappointing moments, painful moments that I could not connect with any bad behavior on my part. It's not like I did something wrong to deserve this. And so here I am in the middle of this moment. And why is this happening to me? Why do I find myself in these circumstances? I mean, I was trying to do the right thing. I'm trying to follow God. I'm trying to live an honorable life. And yet these bad things still happen to me. And what I discovered is that sometimes life will actually just inexorably force you, push you, pressurize you, squeeze you into a corner. It is stuff will happen and it will literally squeeze you until you are cornered and there is no place to go. There's no room to move. You're just cornered and you have to decide what you're going to do when you're absolutely cornered. And the interpretation, the moment that you're in is connected, you believe, with God and his goodness and his trustworthiness in your life. And so I have, on a few occasions in my life, I have come to this question. How can I continue to serve a God that I no longer trust? Because I'm in this corner and the best I can tell, if God, if God had done something about it, I wouldn't be in the corner. If God actually cared about me, he wouldn't put me in this corner. If God was seeing ahead and actually on my side, then I wouldn't find myself in this corner. So the only guy I got left to blame for being in the corner is God. So how can I continue to serve a God that I no longer trust? It's a good question, isn't it? And this is what happened to John Baptist. What did he do wrong? Where, where was his failure? Where was his cause and effect? Where was his sow seeds and reap the consequence? 
but he's all up against the wall. And so he says, are you the one? Or is there someone else? And then John models for us what it looks like to practice stubborn faith. And John Baptist looks at us and goes, wait a minute, you've got to hang on. You have to hang on. Hang on to your faith. Hang on to it in a stubborn sense. Don't become a skeptic. Don't become a cynic. Don't become sour. Don't become angry. Don't become embittered toward God. When life pushes you into the corner and there's no one left to blame God, don't poke God in the eye. Don't do it. Don't turn away. Don't let doubt win. Don't let life destroy your faith. Jesus said, blessed is the man who does not fall away on account of me. And so we learn in those moments that what is required is stubborn faith. When you're at the end of your rope, the last knot on the end of your rope, and you're just dangling by the last knot, and you're hanging on to that, and that's all you've got, here's my advice to you. Here's my preacher talk. You hang on. You hang on to that. Because, because that's the only hope. You remember old Job? Have you read the book of Job lately? J-O-B, it's not Job, it's Job. You should study that old boy. Satan and God had this conversation. The devil goes to God and says, you know, I see Job, he's, he loves you and he serves you, but I bet he wouldn't if you took all of his precious things away from him. And God said, I bet you he would continue to serve me. And so the, the test was on. And Job lost everything. He lost his farm. He lost his children. He lost his friends. The only thing he had left was his, his unsupportive wife. And he's down to nothing. He's lost his health. He's got nothing left. He has been stripped of everything precious to him. And he didn't do anything to deserve that. Calamity came upon his life. Bad things have happened to a good guy. The world is not fair. Job is exhibit A. Bad things have happened to him. And so when Job gets to the, to the very bottom of the bottom, he's there and this is the summary of the book of Job in this phrase. When Job has lost everything with no prospect of ever recovering it, this is what Job said. Though he slay me, yet will I serve him. Whoa. Wow. That's a stubborn faith. The apostle Paul came to the end of his life, and he'd been through some stuff. And so he writes to the young protege, his successor, young Timothy, and he, he concludes, he summarizes his life by saying, look, I, I ran the race. I finished the course. I kept the faith. Now, you may think the Apostle Paul, you know, that's just more flowerly, beautiful, exalted language from the great Apostle Paul. He wrote two-thirds of the New Testament. He's the icon of, of the first century church planting movement and missionary movement. He's the great Apostle Paul, and we, we put him on a pedestal, and we admire him from a distance. But listen, if we had known the Apostle Paul before he died, and we had met him face-to-face, -face, we would have thought, I wonder what happened to that guy. 
You know, you might say, you might say to your spouse after you met the Apostle Paul, and you might say, you know, I think he was in a really bad one. Because he's all marked up, he's all creased up. Because this is the guy, he's been through shipwreck and snake bite and beatings and stoning and thrown off a cliff and imprisoned, and on and on the list goes. And there are times when you read the New Testament, Paul's going, you know, <laughs> with a friend like Jesus, who needs enemies? He, I mean, this boy gets me into some really hot spots. I mean, this is really, this is really hard, you know. I, but, but he always rebounds and says, but greater is he who is in me than he who is in the world. And, and he re rebounds by saying, you know, I've, I've, been, I've, I've been put down, but I'm not crushed. I've, 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 I've been forsaken, but, I, but I'm not ultimately alone. And so, so he, he figures it out. So he comes to the end of his life, and he says to Timothy, I ran the race. And the whole implication of the statement is, if you had been in the race I've been running, and I can run that race, then you can run the race. I finished the course. Now, given the course that God Almighty gave for me in my life, if I can finish that course, then you can finish your course. And then the coup de grace, he says at the end, and I have kept the faith. He didn't get to the end of it and say, you know, well, I hung on, but, you know, I doubted the whole way, and I'm still not sure about all this, and, and I, I don't even know if God's real. I mean, how could God be real after, I, you know, I got pounded one more time? But instead, he says, I kept the faith, the assurance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not yet seen. I've kept the faith, and if I can keep the faith in this life I've been through, then you all can keep the faith. Yeah, it's true. Talking about a stubborn faith, a stubborn faith. The promised blessing does come sometimes in this life. Beth and I, as you know, many of you know, we've been through cancer now. This is the second time. We're just on the backside of a second time that Beth has been through cancer. 26 years ago, we faced it together. And we were much younger then, 35 years old when she was diagnosed. Beth's mother died of breast cancer when she was 39 years old. She had a first cousin who died at 33. Two of her maternal aunts died of this disease. Her maternal grandmother died of this disease. You get the picture. It was devastating. It was confusing. It was frightening. It was all of that. Our boys were young. And it was a, it was a very grave threat. Her prognosis wasn't great at the time. And I can tell you, it created all kinds of confusion and doubt and worry and fear. I was angry. Boy, was I angry. I didn't know, I didn't know who to be angry with. And life pushed us into a corner. What do we do to deserve this? And we were cornered. And once we came through that season of dark confusion and doubt and popped through the other side, and we, we've had years now between these two events, and, and so after the first event, we, we had opportunity to look back and reflect, and we began to ask the question, okay, was God in the middle of all that, even though it was so impossible to feel him or sense him or experience him and 
to have confidence in him. You know, I, I know what it's like to go out in the backyard and shake your fist in the, at the sky and say, where the, are you? Been there, done that. And so we reflected and we rehearsed and we analyzed and we calculated, we considered what God did in all of that. And when, when we got on the other side of it and a few years out, we were able to say, okay, how did this affect our marriage? How did this affect our parenting and our boys as they grew up? And how did it affect we, the way we did ministry? How has it affected our entire lives? Now, for those of you who are in the middle of a crisis right now and struggling with your own faith and you may feel in the corner, it's really hard to see things when you're in the middle of that. It's really hard. And that's part of the patience required and the stubbornness required. You have to wait and trust God and embrace a stubborn faith. But when we pop through the other side of that, now we're going to go through it again. I have to reassess and reconsider all of it again. But when we did it the first time, we paused and we actually came to a point of summary. And here was our summary statement. We concluded with regard to that journey through a life-threatening illness. And this is what we said. And understand, some of you can't hear this today. But for those of you who can hear it, this is how we concluded. That experience may have been the best thing that ever happened to us. I know, I know. Make any sense? But you see, we serve a redeemer God. We, we, we serve a God who can redeem anything. He can take anything, anything that's even designed to destroy you and he can bring out of it life-giving hope. He can do it. He can do it. I know he can because I've seen him do it. And I've not only seen him do it in my life, our lives, but I've seen him do it in many lives. Our God is faithful. He is good. He is reliable. He is consistent. And he is with you. Even when you can't hear him, feel him, see him, know him, he is there. He promised never to leave and he's, he's with you. And if you'll hang on, in the dark times, with a stubborn faith, he'll see you through. This is what the Apostle Paul said, Romans 8, 18, just talking about how hard his life was. He said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed. And that word compare means to calculate, to assess. And this is what, this is what the Apostle Paul did. He came to this conclusion in his life. It's all going to be all right if we'll practice stubborn faith. He said, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. <laughs> and that's the promise and the hope that we have in him. I don't know about you, but the feeling that you're on the knot, the last knot at the end of the rope is dangling there. Here's my... Here's, here's the routine that I, that I go through in that, when I feel like I'm in that moment. I've been there a few times in my life. If you drop off, where are you going to go? Where are you going to fall? What's next? Well, I can't trust God anymore. Drop off. Give up on my faith. Just walk away from God. Where are you walking to if you walk away from God? You ever thought about that? Where are you going? 
Listen, all the other options are pathetic and hopeless. Heck, I just decided to hang on for no other reason than I don't have any choice. Dang it. If I could, I would, but I just can't make any sense. There's nowhere else to go. In 1943, in the North Atlantic, World War II, Nazi submarines were destroying the shipping lanes there, and uh, it, it was uh, carnage for many years. Some of you are old enough to recall. The SS Dorchester was torpedoed and sinking. This particular ship, naval ship, had four chaplains on the boat, a priest, a rabbi, two Protestant ministers. One of the Protestant chaplains on the ship was a young man man by the name of Clark Poling. Uh, he was the son of a prominent pastor in New York City named Dr. Daniel Poling. And when it was discovered that there weren't enough life vests, the chaplains gave up their life vests for some of the younger sailors. And the four chaplains were last seen by the men in rafts and vests in the open water holding on to each other uh, on the sinking deck of that ship. Dr. Daniel Poling, the father of this courageous chaplain, confessed that his faith was devastated. He found it difficult to pray or consider the scripture or prepare for worship. He said the only thing that kept him going for months was every morning he would wake up and go to a window in his house that faced east. And every morning he would sit there and watch the sun come up. And as the sun would come up, he would simply say these words, I believe, I believe, I believe. And he said he did that until the dawn began to break into his own heart, into his own doubt, and the confusion and the pain began to be healed. So friends, if you find yourself in a moment of doubt, and you will, Be honest about your doubt and your confusion. Be, be real about it. Turn toward Jesus. Go to the source of your help. Go to God. Get close to him and allow his arms to reach around you best you can. And then just hang on. Just hang on with stubborn faith. And sooner or later, the light will dawn. The day will appear. And you'll begin to sense his healing grace. Did you get it? Answers, I got it. Did you get it? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you this morning for your word, for this wonderful example of John Baptist. I'm really looking forward to meeting John the Baptist. What a cool cat he must be. And so, looking forward to that. And so, Lord, today, help us. Meet us at the point of our need. Help us to walk in this example of honest, real, stubborn faith. And meet us today, Lord. We confess our weakness, our need for you. So by your grace, oh God, would you minister to us and help us. And I pray especially for that person in the room today who may be struggling with doubt. Lord, be especially near to them. Somehow, God, Speak through all the confusion, the fear, 
and bring peace to their heart. I pray in Jesus' name. And everyone said, would you stand with us?